Hello, and welcome back to Great Takes from the Great Lakes. First time we get to say welcome back, presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. This is episode two, and we, of course, have another jam-packed pod for you guys. As always, your Great Takes coming at you from Luke Morey, Alex Dimel, and yours truly, Christian Peck Dimmitt. We'll be starting this week in the association, talking conference finals, new head coaches, and, of course, the pad smidge of the draft lottery you know enough you know over in the nfl we got old helmets and uh you know new combine locations perhaps over in the diamond a whole lot to talk about including another one game win streak for the tigers what you got for us alex yes we will be getting into the tigers i also this is gonna be this is gonna be a rough episode i have to talk about i don't get my sons in four I don't get to see the Islanders in the Stanley Cup, and I owe you a steak dinner. So this is not going to be an enjoyable episode, but in terms of baseball, we get to talk about Houston's hot streak, which was snapped by the Detroit Tigers. Thank you very much. Um, We get to talk about Fernando Tatis, who's just, I mean, we're going to end up talking about him every week for the rest of the MLB season, but we're going to talk about him because he is just on fire, and Jacob deGrom. Same situation. We're probably going to be talking about Jacob deGrom for the rest of the MLB season because he's also just insane. And we're also going to get into a little bit of the spider tech situation in Major League Baseball. And we'll share our opinions. We'll share what we think. And we'll also share what some players think as well because there have been a lot of opinions from pitchers on this whole spider tech thing. So we're going to get into that a little bit as well. You know, I don't think it's going to be that bad of an episode for me. I am plus one on steak dinners so far. Uh, over on the ice, we have just two teams left this season. What's happening in the NHL loop? Yeah, like you said, uh, Alex, no Islanders, sadly, but still got an underdog in the Montreal Canadiens facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The uh, They're running away as the favorites right now when looking at the betting odds and everything, just what people think. But we'll kind of go through any surprises, a little bit of matchup preview, and also talk about uh, where you can find a nice little rundown on the playoffs leading up to the Stanley Cup Finals and just kind of what you should look for during those series. All right, episode two, coming at you. Let's get at it. All right, we are starting episode two in the association with the Western Conference Finals. We're talking Suns. Clips, and let me tell you, the down 0-2 Clippers, I'm pretty sure, are better than the 96 Bulls. Just kind of a guesstimation, not trying to overreact or anything. But for those of you that didn't watch Game Four, <clears throat> it was uh, something. Some, you know, including the announcers, called it gritty. It was definitely that, um, and you know, no one enjoys a more defensive game than my do maybe more than anybody else just because of the uh old being a pistons fan having to you know watch that kind of get it done blue collar kind of work holy crap more than anything it was just a like not a fun game to watch it was just bad offense missing shots the final score was 84 80 i'm just gonna throw some stats at you real quick and i don't know um the suns made Four threes the entire game, the Clippers. Five, and four of those came in the first half. The Clippers shooting splits from the field. 33-16-66. The Suns, 36-20-86. Just marginally better. Reggie Jackson, a former Piston, hoorah, was the only player on the team to make, on either team, to make more than one three. And he only had two uh, as, as terrible as it was to watch, the Suns did grit out the dub despite four shooting nights from, you know, everyone except DeAndre Ayton. He was a monster. He had 19, uh, 22 and four blocks, which is insane. Uh, but Suns commanding 3 1 lead. Going back to Phoenix for game five, Luke. Hookers uh, have any shot in this one? Especially well, after scoring 80 points in their last game, or is it kind of wraps for them? Well, like you're saying, I mean, the down 0-2 Clips are the 96 Bulls. So are the down 3-1 Clippers, like, you know, the 2016 Warriors? 
we just haven't seen it yet, you know? So that's up for grabs, but I don't think they have a chance, especially you're seeing Paul George has been missing a lot of free throws, which not a lot of people have been talking about. Obviously, people know, you know, right before the Valley Oop, Paul George missed two, but he's just been missing a lot. He went 12 for 18 from the line this past game, and he usually doesn't. He's a good free throw shooter. So I think it's just really showing his legs where he's having to be the top defender and then also go out there and get buckets every single da- every single time he's down the floor. And so I think he's just tiring out. He's getting fatigued, and Kawhi isn't going to come back this series. We saw how careful he was in San Antonio. He's not going to come back and risk his free agency. He's smart enough to really, you know, he takes care of his body. He knows what he needs to do. And he's going to, you know, stay up for the rest of the series. I think the only chance he's come back is if they somehow pull it out and end up with the stamp- in the uh, NBA Finals. But even then, you know, who knows if he actually would. But... I think the Suns are about to make the NBA Finals, which would be fun to see them go back to. Would be absolutely crazy. I gotta say, if if you can get six to twenty-two from Chris Paul, eight to twenty-two from Devin Booker, and win the game somehow, neither of them made a three combined. I don't know. I don't see them not winning this series. You know. I mean, Christian, we can't talk about the Suns and not talk about Game Two. You did mention DeAndre Ayton. That was electric. What? Absolutely electric. I, I didn't... It Not was almost to the point discount where... discount the lob to Tyson Chandler? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just needed my DeAndre Ayton moment. And I got it. And now I'm okay. I didn't get my sons in four. I know I said it over and over. I didn't get it. The Clippers pulled out a win. But I, as you mentioned, Luke, we're, I think it's a very high possibility now that we will see a, a Western Conference represented by the Phoenix Suns, which is awesome to see. Um, it also, being able to see that kind of is a nice distraction from the whole um, having to owe a specific someone on this podcast a steak dinner. But again... That's I. Uh, it's awesome to see that. I do. I, I. I don't know what to think about Hawks. Uh, Hawks Bucks. Um, I know you guys probably have a lot more opinions on that than I am, but I really do think that could go either way. Um, it's def- I think it's going to be like, and we'll get into it later. But it's going to be like Lightning Islanders, where we're going to see a back and forth thing. It's constant. It's going to be a gritty series, and as fans, that just makes us more excited to watch it. I mean. <laughs> Absolutely, you got it. You can't talk about the Hawks, especially the position they're in now, without flashing back real quick. On March first, the Hawks are down in their record fourteen and twenty. They just fired Lloyd Pierce, of course, uh, their head coach, and they are just one season out from finishing fourteenth in the East. That's second to last, not quite dead last for those uh, that don't know. And now. Quick flashback to just a little under four months later, and they are in the Eastern Conference Finals. They just snatched Game One from the Bucks. They're currently, uh, I think, headed towards halftime right now uh, in Game Three. And oh no, um, it's a wild one for sure. I think uh, Luke and I talked about it a little bit. We um, it, it's hard because Trey. We'll get going and have, yeah, you know, that historic 48 and 11. And was just a monster. But then game two, we did, you know, basically exactly what we talked about the Bucks having to do, which was responding and blitzing Trey. You got to, you know, you show him two, three defenders every play. You hedge on every screen. You double whenever he gets out to those wings. And... All of a sudden, he has 15 board, or fifteen points, three dimes, 6 of 16 from the floor, just one three made in game two. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he responds, not only in game three, but obviously the rest of the series, because it's kind of hard. Even, you know, the A is going to be popping. It is popping right now, game three. That'll be loud for sure. But I, I have a hard time seeing the, the Bucks go away from that strategy where they make anyone else on the Hawks roster beat them consistently offensively. And I'm not sure they can do it. Honestly, I think their only real hope is can Trey just be that good and get by like three first team, all defense type guys in PJ holiday and 
uh, Giannis. They showed him a lot of Giannis, surprisingly, in game two. Uh, Luke, what are you feeling about this one? It certainly can go either way. Absolutely. I mean, we were talking, it's either Bucks and five or Hawks and five, you know, like that just seems like where it's going to end up. But like you're saying, I mean, they found out what worked was really, I mean, the Giannis at the five lineups really worked well at the end of game one. They ended on a 13 to two run. They just couldn't finish that last little bit, but they obviously, they blew him out in game two. But what I'm seeing from game three so far, they're going under on every screen. They're letting Trey get basically every three he wants to. I mean, he had like 11 points in the first, uh, first quarter. And so it's just tough. I mean, I know I was kind of standing up for Mike Budenholzer last week, but he's making it hard to stand up for him right now. But I think the Bucks are going to pull it out, I think. And also, like, can you imagine Giannis and DeAndre Ayton going head-to-head? Like, the amount of rebounds we've seen between those two, you know, they'd both be snagging 20 rebounds a night, and it would just be a blast. But like you're saying, even with the Phoenix Suns, DeAndre Ayton has been one of the most efficient guys this entire playoffs. Obviously, he's a big man. He's going to only get, you know, good shots. But still, even for a big man that's, you know, rolling, getting alley-oops, getting easy passes, he's got some soft hands, and he's just finishing every single shot. He was shooting 80% from the field with his first two like playoff rounds in his first playoffs ever. And you can really see the impact Chris Paul has had on that lineup. I mean, Chris Paul... Uh, has been getting him thinking dunks, you know, all season, especially in these playoffs where, as you said, he is shooting an incredible number. It's still, I believe, over 70% from the field. It's absolutely crazy. It helps that he's getting those looks. But, you know, my biggest thing in this series, obviously maybe not the biggest thing, but definitely one of the bigger ones uh, in these playoffs as a whole, Booker stepping up defensively and as a distrib- distributor. Oh, yeah. Because... Everyone knows him as the score. You know, that young buck can go get buckets for sure. Um, and he, you know, continues to do that even when he's having off nights, even uh, through that mask. Uh, not Suns in four anymore, but uh, maybe some Suns in five. I, I don't know. Um, his ability to see the floor, and obviously he has a lot of great shooters and great scores around him, and he has been getting them, you know, going. Honestly, especially with Chris Paul out, he really had to step in and fill that role. We saw a little bit different Donovan Mitchell with the Jazz, where he kind of with um, what's his name, the old Grizzly point guard, Mike Conley. Mike Conley. Uh, might have to edit that. Uh, Mike Conley out. Uh, he had to step up kind of as a distributor, and he really couldn't. He kind of tried to fill that role with just scoring, and, man, he could score. But, the, it's you know, distributing really wasn't in his game, but he wasn't really able to do it and fill that role for him. And we've seen kind of the reverse with Booker, where when Chris Ball's having an off night like he had last game or, you know, when he was injured like he was in the first and almost, you know, kind of a little bit into the second round or into the third round here with COVID, he Booker has filled that role, and I think he's been absolutely incredible. I think it perhaps can get them his first chip and CP3's first chip as well. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about Devin Booker last time, and I talked about how I thought I did think he was going to be the leader of that team. I think that's been coming for a while, even with a veteran like CP3 there. I did think Booker was the proven leader of this team. Along, I I would say it'd be a probably probably a co-leader now because of the impact that CP3 has had, and the, even players will talk about how CP3 has impacted them. I know DeAndre Ayton just had a quote about how he's, you know, CP3 has changed his career in so many great ways, and it it is good to see those. It's a young but also experienced team, which isn't something you see a lot, and I think that's really the reason why they are, you know, where they are. I also do want to point out, we were talking about Booker. He's had, in game one against in this series, he's had 40 points. Game two, he had 20. Game three, he had 15. And then he picked it back up in game four with 25. And I do want to say, it has been, it's been a game of step-ups. I think when they've needed guys to step up, like we just talked about DeAndre Ayton with the tip-in, um, when they've needed guys to come up clutch or needed someone to take over and you know control the ship, as they say, they've had those guys and they've had the, that it's been a consistent thing where someone has stepped up every night. And I think that's, like I said, why they are where they are. I've got to do a quick shout out while we're talking about this to Cam Johnson. Obviously we're going to, uh, you know, avoid that game four 
because uh, basically nobody shot well. He went two or four from the field, had a three. But first three games of the series, 12 points, 11 points, 12 points on 63, 100, and then 57% from the field, shooting 40, 140% from three. A really underrated guy, a great, not really a sixth man, um, because they play kind of seven or eight pretty consistently. No one really jumps at. He doesn't jump out of you and take a ton of the minutes off the bench. But he filled that scoring role off the bench really well. And as with almost all of these sons, he is a great individual defender as well, talking about guys that have stepped up. I mean, speaking of individual defenders, one person that isn't getting a lot of respect or a lot of love from the Suns is Mikhail Bridges. I mean, his defense, like he's a perfect 3 and D player, which is exactly what you need in a team that has – you know, really good big in the under eight and a good score from Devin Booker and a good facilitator in CP3. You just need those good guys who can just go out there, you know, knock down a three if they need to, but also defend the best winger. And, I mean, he's been really good. He's getting, you know, 10 to 13 points a game. But really the biggest thing for him is just putting up really good defense. And I think them trading the, with the 76ers to get him in the draft was just absolutely massive for the Suns just vaulting up to the levels they are now. You're talking Mikhail Bridges. First of all, those arms are insane. My Lord, he has a plus seven feet foot wingspan, which is incredible. If you watch him in the game, he just has absolute go-go gadget arms. But he is shooting, get this, 64% in his last 10 games, which of course are all playoff games. From three in those last 10 games, 58%. That's insane. He's averaging a full block and a steal and a half. Stepping up. Honestly, the defense he plays to average 1.6 fouls a game in his last 10 is insane. He is the perfect guy to highlight. And he's not, you know, like a star or anything, but he, he stars in his role perfectly. And it's exactly what you said. The Crowders, the Bridges, the Cam Johnsons of that team, the three and Ds are just perfect. And they, you know, they complete the team more than anything. Yeah, like you're saying, I mean, go, go, gadget. He can go, go, get you some buckets, you know. But speaking of getting buckets, uh, we're talking about basketball. You can't talk about uh, basketball without mentioning the WNBA. Diana Taurasi just scored 9,000 points, the first player in WNBA history to ever get to that. It's incredible. She's 39, and she's still getting buckets. Mm -hmm. I mean, looking at her season stats, she's played 460 games. She averages over that entire career, 460 games. 19.6 19.6 points, four rebounds, four assists, shooting 43, 36, 87. She has been incredible. The coat. Make her the logo, honestly. Take that, LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, we got, they I also we got a new goat. In M- I think we got a new goat in basketball. I think LeBron, or LeBron and MJ are going to have to step aside now. I mean, that's just me. Look at this. Even her rookie year, she has averaged not only double digits, but 14 points or more in. Every single season minus one where she only played in six games. Let's go. That That's incredible. And it's one of those things where it, that is – and not to put too fine of a point on it, but that is – it's nice that we see, you know, athletes like that in that league, that which doesn't get as much notoriety, mm-hmm. have showouts like that, and they do have, like, all-star, future Hall of Famer type caliber too. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm not going to say step aside Le- uh, LeBron again because I think I was probably uh, a little too far to go to because obviously oh. LeBron LeBron is just LeBron. But um, I do want to before and not to completely step away from the NBA, but I do want to mention just because we do have our uh, our native Hoosier on our podcast, Luke. The NFL is trying to take the combine, the NFL combine, away from Indianapolis. What? How can you are you are you letting this happen? I, I oh, do think we absolutely. I, not. I think we're gonna have to end up blaming you if this happens. <laughs> you can you heard it here first. I'm not letting the combine leave. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a Christian with the with the draft lottery all over again if they leave. <laughs> this I I don't know. Where, it, it seems like it's such a it's the NFL comedy is honest, and this is just from my perspective, an institution in Indianapolis. Like where where else are you gonna have it other than Lucas Oil Stadium? Exactly. And I mean, some of the offers have been put in. Dallas is one of them, which doesn't make a lot of sense because it's an hour outside of the actual city. 
So are you going to have people there and commute over there? And Lucas Oil Stadium is just set up perfectly inside of Indianapolis. You can get anywhere. You can, like, there are a bunch of little tunnels where you can walk to the place staying inside if it's cold or rainy or anything like that. But it's just so centrally located for all of the colleges, any kind of players that try to go there, any kind of scouts. And I think it just makes so much sense to keep it there, especially because, I mean, Indiana's going to get the 2024 NBA All-Star game. So, like, we're getting, you know, we're getting good stuff. We had the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. It's like, a sports sacrifice. <laughs> you, had to, you had to give up uh, the combine to get uh, March Badness. This <laughs> Honestly, but... Like, I think the Combine's going to realize it might try, you know, a little bit away from Indy, but I think it's going to come back and just realize that Indy's just so centrally located. It's called the drive drive through state for a reason. Like, yeah, you're going to not see a lot, but Indianapolis (laughs) is so nicely located. I think it's going to end up coming back here. You you think it's coming back? You think they're going to, like, do it for a couple years somewhere else and they're just like, ah, you know, (laughs) Indy was just that good. We got to come back. I think if they try to leave, they're going to end up coming back. But I honestly don't know if they're going to even leave. I know they're just putting in offers. I think they're just trying to put out feelers, see. I mean, we've seen it with people leaking jerseys or leaking stuff like that, just to kind of see what the fans would say. And also, I mean, I've been to the two previous combines. I got to see Saquon Barkley, Lamar Jackson, um, Baker Mayfield play there. Like, the tickets are free. You just show up there. It's really awesome experience. And I think Indy is such a nice area because it's so centrally located. You can get there from Michigan, Ohio, you know, Tennessee, Illinois. You can get there from so many different places. And there are a lot of nice hotels there, stuff like that. Granted, there isn't a lot in Indianapolis, but there's enough that you could have some fun in there. And Lucas Oil Stadium is just incredible. It's one of my favorite places to go for any kind of game, anything like that. And, yeah, I think it's going to stick around. I I hate to burst your bubble here. Uh, I really do. Um, But they did send out, the NFL did, from the league office, a notice to every single team saying that 2022 will be the Combine's last year in Indy. It's been there, of course, since 1987. I think there were only about four or five years, actually, prior to that where it was anywhere else, and that was the first five years they had the Combine. Um, and they're just kind of planning on doing it kind of like the Super Bowl, where they just, every year it's a new place. And by July 23rd this year, you got to have a, um, you know, your applications in to host the 2023 one. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, if, it, if it's leaving, I don't see them coming back, to be honest with you. I think if the league makes a decision like that, they're just going to be like, all right, even if it stinks this year, you know, it'll be in a new city next year. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. And well, the interesting thing. I do, I do want to mention, though, it does seem like with the way that the league is, like, transforming into where kids are coming from, obviously I think it's safe to say that the SEC is one of, if not the hottest league or conference in college football. And so it does seem to me that, and not to, you know, I guess, disrespect Indianapolis, but it would make sense, at least from my perspective, to make it in a spot like Atlanta. I don't know about Miami, but Atlanta would be a big spot. Um, it, it is indoors now. The Falcon Stadium is indoors. Um, it is, like you like you love to mention, centrally located, really in terms of like being centrally located in the south and in like kind of the middle of that conference. Um, and so I would not be shocked if we saw it moving to Atlanta. Uh, I think that'd be a great spot for it solely because – a lot of the talent we are seeing is coming out of that southeast region and this uh, and the SEC in general. So, look definitely look out for it. Um, the, I do think we're going to see reports of the NFL Combine moving to Atlanta at some point in the near future. I could absolutely see that, and I think the biggest thing is they might like they're going to tr- their biggest goal with all of this. And we've talked about it before, and everybody says it with NFL. It's a money making league. They're just going to try and make. You know, it's going to go to the highest bidder, no matter if it makes sense for anybody. Like what you're saying, the SEC is definitely one of the best conferences for NFL talent. But, you know, it could end up in somewhere like Dallas that's going to give you a bunch of money. Las Vegas is a really big one. I mean, that that just makes so much sense because we know what those owners will do. And I just think it'll be interesting. But I think also it could just bounce around a lot. Just going to the highest bidder every year, you know, maybe try to make people pay to go in and see it. Make it more of like a uh, Super Bowl, uh, like the Super Bowl uh village kind of area where they have a bunch of memorabilia random stats stuff like that just to get more people in there try to raise more revenue and it could i do think we could see it become uh sort of like a super bowl or like the mlb all-star game 
where we could see it going to a new place every year that could be another part of their money-making thing is where they make more of an event out of it for other in other areas. Um, I do think there's also a possibility that we could see that in the future as well because, as we said, it's a money-making league. I think that'd be great for money. I think it'd be great for those cities that would get that opportunity every year. I mean, who knows? We could end up seeing it come to, to Ford Field at Detroit at some point, which would be awesome. I'd love to go see that, but I do – I actually do want to i think the highest possibility is that they're going to try to move it to a different stadium every year because of that that they've seen what it's done for major league baseball with the all-star game they've seen obviously what we just said what it does for the super bowl for that town that hosts those events and so i do think we could see that and i do want to say speaking of baseball it seems unfair to me that fernando tatis jr it doesn't even just seem unfair. It seems like just plain wrong that Fernando Tostes Jr. is currently playing for the third place team in his division. Free Tatis. Free him. What is going on? A team with, and I do, this is where it's going to get, this is where I'm going to get a little heated with it. A team with Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Blake Snell, Jake Cronworth, who shout out Jake Cronworth, Michigan grad, tearing it up recently. It does it. It seems like opposite day when I wake up and find out that the Giants and the Dodgers are are first and second place. Where are the Padres? Every single clip you see, and we talked about this in the last episode. Every single clip you see on Major League Baseball social media or all of these other sports social media accounts when they are talking about baseball, it is a Fernando Tatis clip. Every time for a reason, because he's an electric player. So why aren't they winning? And if they're not, if they're winning, why aren't they leading their division? One player well, can't game make out of the Dodgers. Only half game behind the Dodgers. They got a, definitely got a shot. And they're only four and a half behind the Giants. Honestly, though, if DeGrom keeps playing the way he is, it, nope, that's the mess. I'm going to go. <laughs> it's already, but it's, it's, it is interesting to see, like, the, as we just mentioned, the Giants are 50 and 27. 50, 50 and 27. First team to 50 wins. Did it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody predicted the San Francisco Giants being the first of 50 wins and leading the NL West this year. Do I think they, that they're going to be leading the division at the end of the season? Absolutely not. But as shocked as I am to say it, shout out San Francisco. They are tearing it up. First, like I said, the first team to 50 wins. The first team to 40 wins was the Rays in the American League East, who are currently a half game behind the Red Sox, who just swept their rival New York Yankees. Apologies to our CEO, Stephen Hayes, who is a big Yankees fan. Um, I know that probably hurt, for, hurt him to see that happen. Um, I mean, they got, I, I do have to say it, they just got demolished today. It was nine to two final to sweep the Yankees. They are six zero against the Yankees on the year. I don't. It's it's it seems like such a backwards year. It seems like it's this is something that should have happened last year with Corona. I, I don't I don't understand what is going. It, I I don't understand what's going on. The Tigers won today. I was at the game. The Tigers, the Detroit Tigers, walked off the Houston Astros today in a sacrifice bunt. I'll get into that more later. But it does seem like, in that way, a bit of a backwards year, which I don't know why I'd even be complaining because that just makes it more entertaining. You don't ever see the um, predictable seasons getting that much, you know, notoriety and you know attention because people want to be shocked. They want to see the upsets. So it's been that has just been it's been a, truly a great season to watch baseball. And speaking of electric players, we're gonna mention it again. Because we're probably, like I said, we're probably going to end up mentioning it every single episode. Jacob Degrom is just nuts. I, I don't understand it. I don't. But if he can get, if he can stay healthy, that man might be. Uh, he he could get elected to the Hall of Fame tomorrow if he could be healthy. But we do need to get those that shoulder tightness figured out. He's currently in his last seven games. He's a one point six four ERA. Does anybody want to know what his current ERA is? Zero point six. I would, I would six. absolutely love to know. 
He's 0.69 ERA. He's tied for fifth place in strikeouts with 122, and he's 7-2 on the season. He is the main reason the New York Mets are where they are. They're currently first place in the AL East with a four-game lead above the Washington Nationals. It's just a great it's a great time to, for, to watch baseball, especially after the shortened season. I don't think there is a single baseball fan that isn't entertained right now. Um, there's, there's something going on all over the league. Um, and I will say as I'm watching it, oh, speaking of, I do happen to be watching the Dodgers-Govs game Sunday night baseball, and Javier Baez just got the Cubs on the board with a solo shot. Also another electric player um, who's just been stunning lately. The Cubs are currently in second place behind the Milwaukee Brewers in the AL Central, and Baez is currently batting 277. He has, excuse me, 17 home runs and 46 RBIs. So I think this could be another great year for Chicago. They're only two and a half games back. It, again, it's too early to predict, but it's still as entertaining as it gets in baseball right now. Um, just waiting, waiting for, uh, waiting for Detroit now. That's all I need. That's all I need. And I mean, speaking of Degrom, like he's getting it done on the pitching end, but even on the batting end, he's he's got a four fourteen batting average right now, and with six RBIs, like he's just getting it done on both sides. And like you're saying, it's an unpredictable year, but it just makes it so much more fun. Especially we're seeing so many big players like Tatis and Degrom, and I mean even the, some of the older guys like Javier Baez. You're just seeing them all play so well, and it just reminds you how much fun you know hockey, baseball, football, basketball can be. When you're just there live, you're seeing it live. The fans bring such a fun atmosphere to all sports, and it's just good to see, to see fans back in the stands again. Oh, you're telling me. I, I lucked out again. I happened to be at the game today to watch that sacrifice bunt. And even when the Tigers don't have – even they don't even have half capacity right now, and it's still amazing to be able to go watch that. There's still energy. And I do think it does – I will say as much energy as, it, as crowds bring in baseball, there is no crowd more energetic than a playoff hockey crowd. And that's where we're going to roll into. We're going to roll into the Stanley Cup Finals is set. As, unfortunately, I do have to say, the New York Islanders are not in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning took Game 7. Um, yeah. I, I Go Canadians. Yeah, it was, go Canadians. It was tough, that's all I'm going to say. It was I, a tough one to watch, and... I mean, it really showed how the Lightning can get stuff done on both ends. They're known for their really, you know, high-powered offense. They obviously, you know, destroyed the Islanders a couple of days ago, you know, 8 nothing win. But they got it done on defense, and it just shows how well-versed they are and just being able to do whatever they need to do to win. And, I mean, they're a veteran squad. They're, lead, they're led by a bunch of veterans. They're $18 million over their cap. So, like, they've got a really good team around them. And Andre Vasilevsky is playing on his head right now. I mean, he's just been incredible this entire playoffs. He's posted four straight series where he finishes them with a closeout shutout, which is the most in NHL history in a row. And he has a chance to continue it. Like, he's just been an incredible player. And even if the Lightning aren't scoring, Vasilevsky's going to keep him in the game. But it's making it fun, too, because he got another really good goaltender on their side for the Montreal Canadiens in Carey Price, who... I mean, I would argue is the feel feel good story of the year, especially for hockey. Like everybody loves Carey Price, and everybody wants to see him win a ring. Even I would argue Tampa fans wouldn't be too upset about the Canadians winning a ring, so Carey Price can finally get one. What are your thoughts, Alex? And I will say, if we're going to talk about goalies, even though the Islanders did lose, we do have to talk about Varlamov's amazing performance. He truly did keep the Islanders in that game. Um, There wasn't, unfortunately, too much generated on offense. But the, he was he was impeccable the entire playoff series. So I do want to give a shout out to, um, oh excuse me, uh, Semyon Varlamov just for truly as we mentioned when Luke and I we were texting during that game we we did say he did put the team on his back. He grabbed that backpack and put strapped it on and ran with it. So you know the Islanders did have a great run. Uh, sort of the Golden Knights. I it's the Golden Knights are making me so excited to see the Seattle crack in this season because people forget the Golden Knights just came into the league. It would be three or four years ago now. 
And Luke, how many playoff appearances did they have in that time? They've made the playoffs three times in their four-year career, and they've also reached the Eastern the uh, their divisional finals two times, and they made it to the Stanley Cup finals in their first year. Who does that? Who does that? That's insane. And like I said, it just makes me more excited for cracking hockey. Um, we will we do have the NHL draft coming up soon in just under a month now, um, and that will be another expansion draft. Just while we're on that topic, Luke, again, who do we see the Kraken taking? I think uh, a nice little shout-out to all the Midwest boys. I think uh, U of M center, uh, Beignet, looks really good. He's a hard, uh, hard fighter. He's only six foot, so he's a smaller guy, but he really just plays hard, um, which is kind of what you need. You need those, those wingers and those centermen that will just you know go out there and put their body on the line, get some goals in there. And especially for, you know, a young team that's – it's going to be interesting. I think some of it could depend on what they get with the expansion draft, which is obviously a couple of days before. The expansion draft is the 21st of July, and the NHL actual draft is the 26th, where the Seattle Kraken hold the second overall pick. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, but I could see them going with the center. I think they could really use a good center just to get some good offense going automatically. And, you know – if U of, M, U of M boys go one and two, that's not too bad at all. No, it's not. But before, before we get to that, though, we do have to finish the season with the Canadians and the Lightning. Um, I didn't think after after the way the Lightning were playing that anybody could take them down. I did. I think Luke and I, you both, we both talked about the fact that you know they were electric. I did want the Islanders. I did think the Islanders were going to win, but course it was proven wrong i do think the canadians are gonna have a strong chance though they're we did talk about how great carry price has been playing but we do need to give their offense some recognition cole caulfield is a rookie i just want to point it out there for all of our listeners who are nhl fans just to remind them he is still a rookie he wasn't he did not even play a full season he was playing in the iihf tournament in january six months ago and look how he's playing now. So Canadians fans, you have a lot to be excited for, not just in this upcoming series, but in the future with Caulfield. Um, you know, they the guys, I did see a quote today, I want to say it was from Toffoli, who said that before we even have our coffee, he's up jumping around, the youngster's excited, he's ready to go. It's his first Stanley Cup Finals in his first season. Could not imagine how exciting that must be, and I do think it's going to, it, it's going to be a deep series i do think we're going to see a 4-2 lightning win um i'm gonna say that there luke do you have any predictions for the stanley cup well i actually agree with you on the length but before we get into that like you're saying with the canadians their depth is so good they only have three players that have played any games without a point every other player has at least logged one point and one of those players has only played two games but everybody else has at least scored or assisted. They're playing so well. Their highest score uh, point getter is only 14 points with Tyler Toffoli. But everybody else is scoring. Everybody is doing so well. And they're really good, like the Islanders. We saw it where they're just really good at getting the opportune goal where, you know, they might not score every single time they're running down the ice or on the power play. But when they need a big goal, they're just going to get it. And Cole Caulfield and Suzuki are just playing so well together. They're bouncing so well off each other. I think there's the future is very right for Montreal but I do think it's Tampa Bay pulling it out in game six I think Andre Vasilevsky is going to continue his NHL record shutouts and get a fifth consecutive one yeah that'll be great to see and speaking of the Stanley Cup finals Luke you have a fun announcement coming straight from Tunnel Vision do you want to give us some details on what you'll be doing yes sir so uh, buddy of mine Ben Bridges and I for Tunnel Vision Sports will be doing a little preview to talk about the NHL playoffs, kind of what's led up to these moments, what's the X factor, you know, who's the MVP of each team, the predictions, Conn Smythe winners, just stuff like that. We'll get into it. Um, so look for it tomorrow. Uh, so Monday, when you hear this, Monday afternoon, right before uh, the Monday night tip uh, puck drop for game one. But I'm really excited about it. Ben Bridges and I are working on it, and we're really excited just to get it out there. We're going to get you some good content and just get you excited for this series. Yeah, so as always, you can check that out on Tunnel Vision 
sports website or TV mag or TV sports mag.com. Pardon me. Excited to watch, excited to read that. It'll be a great, uh, good little rundown for all of you who are not particularly interested in the NHL, but are looking forward to watching the Stanley cup finals. That'll be a great preview to go and read. And yeah. All right. We are now rolling right into Midwest minute. Uh, and some big news, uh, for the NBA, the draft order officially set for the 2021 draft. It'll be on July 29th, just over a month away. You know, little birdie told me, I just, just kind of heard through the grapevine, uh, Pistons did pretty good, right? You know, perhaps the best they could possibly do. Um, Mark Tatum, uh, announced this last week that the Detroit Pistons will be selecting number one overall in the 2021 NBA draft. And oh my God, that is the most excited I have been in a very long time. You know, it was, it was so funny because I actually happened to be again at Comerica Park watching the Tigers play the Cardinals and it came on the big screen. Um, they announced it at Comerica Park while the Tigers were playing that the Detroit Pistons had acquired the, or not acquired, but had um, been given the number one pick in the draft lottery. I was sitting there thinking, I thought Luke and I would have heard from Christian by now because it was like 10 minutes had passed. And then I realized we're not going to hear from him for like 20 minutes because he's definitely running around his house right now, screaming and jumping up and down. It's like Cole Caulfield, like we just said. He didn't even need his coffee. All he needed was the Pistons to get the first pick and get his free steak dinner, and he would be excited for the rest of the night. And so we finally, I finally broke the ice and said, all right, we got to talk about it now. Uh, I think that is just about perfectly accurate. I screamed, let's go as loud as physically possible. Like as loud as like my lungs or like my voice box or whatever, like lets me scream. That's how loud I yell for like a full five minutes. I was just running around my house yelling, uh, scared the absolute crap out of my dog. Um, but that's okay. Because we got the number one overall pick. I didn't even see it get announced because they go back to front, like 15 down to one. And obviously it was down to just the Pistons and uh, the Rockets at number two. And they flipped the card for the Rockets. And I just went absolutely crazy. Ben Walls just holding up the number one. Feed me Cade, baby. I can't wait. You know, Luke, um, Luke oh my I think we need to set like a like a certain tab like after we record we're gonna have to set like a certain limit or like a certain price that yeah, christian yeah. is allowed to spend on his steak that night we'll take him like applebee's or something we won't take him yeah, to a nice exactly place, and it's gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna be like a six ounce fillet none of this porterhouse exactly. or any of that so no side you know what nothing. we're we're gonna have to, i think we're gonna have to have that conversation later but that, this might be the most exciting thing to happen to detroit sports in five years Five, least, six years. At least five years. Yeah. I mean, I obviously. I don't know. We, I, was, we, I was pretty hyped when he got Blake Griffin, but that's not even close. I, I will say, I was. I thought that was exciting, but I did. The one reaction I had, and this was a while ago now, but the one reaction I had was, oh my goodness, we are bringing in. So, like, our, our, ca- our shallow crap was done when we did that. But besides the point, um, even when the Tigers have had the first pick, obviously it's not. It's one, not a draft lottery. And two, there are somewhere around 30 rounds in the MLB draft. There are two in the NBA draft. And so that'll be very exciting. Um, If Cade Cunningham can bring a Larry O'Brien trophy to Detroit, I might forgive him for busting my bracket this year. I do want to mention... Absolutely he can. As as I mentioned last episode, he did bust my bracket this year, uh, losing to Oregon State. It was perfect up until then. Um, So I might be able to forgive him. I don't know. I, I I don't know. It, it's if we'll he, the, that's the, that's the that's what it's gonna have to be. If he can't bring a Larry O'Brien Trophy to Detroit, then all all uh, all deals are off. But um, that's the bar. Oh, absolutely! You can't mess with someone's <laughs> March Madness bracket like that, and then ex, and then expect forgiveness that easily. It was personal too. He was oh, doing it was completely personal. Completely yep. personal. No, mm-hmm. but on a more serious note, that is. Very exciting news. Uh, it'll be great to hopefully see, actually not even hopefully, to see Cade Cunningham in a Pistons uniform this fall. His only visit he's taking is to the Detroit Pistons before the draft, which is, you know, just I think it just gets us more gassed up to watch that. Um, 
And yeah, I, I do think this is going to be one of those guys that's truly going to be able to transform that team. Um, Oklahoma State hadn't had this much talent since Marcus Smart. And I think this guy's, Cade Cunningham, I think he blows Marcus Smart out of the water. And so I, it'll be, I, it is very exciting to see that. Um, we do want to also mention uh, when we're talking Midwest, the Cleveland Cavaliers do have the number three pick in this year's draft. Christian, who are they going to take? All right, here's the thing. Number two, probably Evan Mobley. I think that's kind of a given. He's, you know, a really skilled guy for 7-1. He won the Pac-12's freshman of the year, defensive player of the year, and overall player of the year. I think that's kind of a given. That leaves the Cavs with basically one of the Jalens, Suggs or Green. And I don't know, personally... I don't see any way you can't pick green for whatever reason. Basically, every mock draft I've seen has them taking Suggs. Not just them, has Suggs ranked ahead of uh, Jalen Green for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why. They're both really good defenders, great scorers off the dribble. Honestly, the real differences are positional, where Suggs is more of a true point guard. Um, he's a much better distributor. Green is a far better shooter, more of a pure scorer, and definitely a, a, a true shooting guard. That kind of leaves them up to take Suggs. If obviously there's some commotion, perhaps with Colin Sexton, he might not be a Cavalier next year. But that's uh, mostly rumors at this point. But for sure, one of the Jalen's moving down to Luke's Pacers at the 13th pick. Um, and it was a very interesting thing because I'm kind of, I'm taking my notes, I'm preparing for this and I go, Oh, you know, a bunch of drafts haven't taken James book night. This is a really good kid, you know, real solid score off the dribble. He has got crazy bounced real solid defender too. And then I wrote in there in my notes, I went, not a great outside shooter. They need outside shooting for sure, especially from the wings. And I went, he's really inconsistent. He shot under 30%. You know, this is 100% going to bring them down. And I literally wrote in my notes, not quite sure this is this would actually be a very good pick. And, uh, of course, coming out today, he pulled up to the draft combine and absolutely ripped the net. Just like three straight minutes of just making jumpers from anywhere, any difficulty. And he said, quote, I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people with his outside shooting specifically. Um that's exciting for sure. And I think just a little bit more exciting than that. Y'all got a new coach, Luke. How are you feeling? Absolutely. I'm very excited. Like, it feels good to actually get some stability in there. Uh, Nate Bjorkman obviously just didn't work out, whether it was, you know, personality or the locker room. We just needed a change of pace. And I think getting a guy with that kind of resume, like Rick Carlisle, obviously won a championship. He coached with us earlier. He t- almost, you know, the, he was during, there during the Mouse at the Palace. So, you know, maybe we'll see a reprise of that at Little Caesars Arena this year. You know, who knows? But I really like him. I think he's going to be a good fit. We really need that, you know, veteran leadership where he's, you know, he's going to be able to pull out his resume and say, guys, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, you got to follow what I'm saying. And James Buchnight is definitely one I've seen. Also, another one is Moses Moody, who I really like as well. A nice little 3 and D guy, which is really what Indiana needs. They, you know, they have TJ Warren. They have some good scores, but they really don't have some great defenders. And I think... Moses Moody or Buknight would be a good pick. Obviously, I think some of it depends on Buknight's shooting, how they feel about that. And but I mean, it's exciting to have a you know a good coach. And four years, twenty nine million is the most our owners you know shelled out to a coach in quite some time. So he's going to have some pull in you know who we're going to draft, any kind of trades. I wouldn't be surprised to see us make a draft uh, draft aid trade. Maybe one of Turner or Sabonis is gone by then, but you know we'll find out. Very interesting. I'd be I'd be interested to see uh, Sabonis on another team. He's a very underrated guy. I think they'd hold on to him. Honestly, if I'm a Pacers fan, I want I want Sabonis. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've seen so often Turner. He's got the scoring. You know, he's got the three point shooting. He leads the league in blocks pretty much every year. But he just he's not a good rebounder. He is inconsistent. Like he's averaged about 13 to 14 points a game. And we really need, you know, that 17 to 20 points per game guy, which is what Sabonis has been. And Sabonis averaged a triple double in the month of May this year, which is just, it's just incredible. He's probably one of the, you know, the second best passer behind Jokic as from the big man position. I'd put him up there very comfortably, at least top three, top five. I mean, like, I don't think there are a lot of people better than him. And 
I think he'd be really fun to see. Obviously, you need some you know some better defense around him because he's not he's a big guy. You know, he's strong, but he's not great defensively. You need some good defense around him. But I think you got to at least try it out. I think going Twin Towers just isn't really going to work in this time. But obviously, we'll see. We trust Rick Carlisle. Oh yeah, I can definitely see Turner getting dealt. Uh, but the rest of the draft, the Midwest, honestly, is pretty light. Milwaukee, Chi-Town, the T-Wolves all traded their first-round picks. They do have, I believe, two first-rounders, or three first-rounders uh, between the three of them, or second-rounders, rather. Uh, but nobody else got a first-round pick. Uh, MLB's still swinging midseason. What we got there in the Midwest? All righty. So we've had a bit of a change in pace uh, since our last episode. Detroit snapped Houston's 11-game winning streak. Just want to say it. They snapped it yesterday in the first game of their doubleheader. Um, today, Robbie Grossman for Detroit, as we'll get into earlier, uh, gave them another amazing one-game winning streak. Thank you, Christian. Uh, Detroit is 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They currently sit at third. In, they're tied for third, actually, in the AL Central with Kansas City and Minnesota. Above them is the Cleveland Indians in second place, who are also 5-5 five and five in their last 10. And as last time, Chicago White Sox are currently in first, although they are on a 3-7 and seven streak in their last, or 3-7 and seven record in their last 10 with a, another one-game winning streak. Um, the big stat out of the uh, American League Central, the big differential between the White Sox and everybody else is, or the big, really, it's in the word, the run differential. The White Sox have a plus 81 run differential, the Indians who are in second place right behind them have a negative three. I don't even think I need to explain that. That is clearly why the White Sox are doing so well is because they are being extremely consistent with you know offense to defense, the pitching to hitting, and they are also twenty one and eight or twenty one and fourteen, excuse me, in uh, playing in their own ballpark. Um, looks like the White Sox are rolling. Hopefully for White Sox fans, they will be taking the AL Central at the end of the season. Shifting over into the National League, the Milwaukee Brewers are now the outright leader in the uh, NL Central. They are three games ahead of the Chicago Cubs. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10 and currently are on a five-game winning streak. Uh, as I just mentioned, the Chicago Cubs are now 42-36 and 36 with three games behind. They are 4-6 and six in their last 10 and are on a three-game losing skid. They just got swept by the Los Angeles Dodgers, which that series just finished today. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds are in third. They're at an even 500. They're 38-38. and 38. Um, three and seven in their last ten, and then rounding out the bottom are the St. Louis Cardinals and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, the Cardinals are eight games behind. Uh, they are two and eight in their last ten, and they are in fourth place. And then bottoming out the Pittsburgh Pirates, fifteen games back on six and four in their last ten, though. So could be on the they could be on the come up in the NL Central. Um, and I do also want to mention again. I did know I did say that we were going to talk about sticky stuff, so I am going to have a quick segment in here about the. Uh, that I get, and I guess I wish there was more of a professional way to to uh, to put it, but um, that is really how it's going around right now. It is the sticky situation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Major League Baseball banned all foreign substances from uh, for pitchers, and added that there will be a ten game suspension. If any pitcher was caught with any sort of foreign substance on their hand or on their glove or anywhere on their body, um, as you can see, for those of you who are watching and those of you who aren't watching, each after each inning, the, the umpires will go out and check the pitchers to see what they have. Um, if you, if anybody wants a, a bit of a laugh, you can go watch Max Scherzer's reaction to being checked mid-inning. Um, also, Sergio Garcia also had a similar reaction where they were just like, give me a break. And I can't say I blame them, to be honest, because I do think this is something that the league needed to, one, communicate better on. From what I've seen in player interviews, it doesn't sound like there was any sort of communication with the Players Association, and they were kind of shocked that this was happening. And a lot of them are saying that they just caused them to be injured. Injured. I know Tyler Glass now, who's a Ray, one of the best pitchers that the Rays have, and one of the best pitchers in baseball before he got hurt, blamed the ban of the foreign substances on, or blamed his injury on the ban for the foreign substances. And it really comes down to we're in the middle of you know people voting for the MLB All Star Game. So if you're Rob Manfred and you have that coming up. I don't understand why you don't wait 
to make that decision around that time and then at least have a time to conversate at least have time to have a conversation about it with the players because they're on a break um i do think it was poor timing i do also i can't believe i'm saying this i never thought i would say this but i do feel bad for the major league umpires who have to do this because you can tell they don't want to be doing this they don't want to have to check every inning to make sure that someone is doing following the rules because they they i can you can tell when they have to do it they think it's a waste of time and it's it's i think it's just a frustrating situation for the players and and like i just mentioned the umpires um but it'll be interesting i do think that this is going to be something that is going to be more um, talked about during the All-Star break. I do think we're going to see an uprise. I know Trevor Bauer, who's already just a social media you know, phenomenon, who is not the MLB, he's not uh, the biggest fan of the MLB and has made that very well known. Um, he did an interview today where he talked about how he thought they handled it poorly. Um, so I do think we're going to see a lot more of that uh, kind of attitude from players arise in the next coming weeks. I do, I can't, blame them i would be upset about this if i was them too but we'll see where that goes um rolling into the nhl midwest minute um yeah there isn't a lot just i mean mostly we're waiting on the draft which we talked about a little bit on our first episode um but i mean obviously with the stanley cup finals going on probably next week either we'll know more about the stanley cup finals or it might even be done depending on how quickly it gets done then we'll be, you know, offseason will be coming up. We'll be closer to the draft. So I'll spend a little bit more time with the Midwest next week going into any kind of offseason rumors I'm hearing or any kind of trades that might come up, anything like that. I think that leaves us with our final segment of the episode, Michigan Madness. And we get to start it off with the Pistons, baby. I don't know if I've told you guys enough, um, the listeners especially, yet this episode, but the Pistons have the number one pick, if you hadn't caught on to that yet. Uh, And I'll tell you what, um, this one isn't technically over yet. We still have some, you know, technicalities to get out of the way, but this season cannot finish fast enough. Next season can't come fast enough. I just want Cade to be a Piston so bad. I have spent a dangerously high amount of my time watching Cade highlights, especially in the last week. Um, he's averaging, or he averaged last season, 21, 6, and 3.5, 44-40-85 splits. That is very good, especially at 6, 8, 220. That's the exact size of Hillsdale's power forward. And what are we doing in Oklahoma State? We're putting him at point guard. He's so shifty, he's so quick, even at 6'8", 220. And he just has so much offensive talent, and he actually puts in effort defensively, which is a big thing. I'm not, you know, a big fan of a lot of players. Recently coming out of the draft, you know, having the ability or the length to score or to uh, to do well defensively but not really putting in the effort, you see it there from Cade. And he's just so good. I cannot wait until he's a piston. He's so versatile. He's just a great pure scorer, honestly. Yeah, and those uh, for our listeners, obviously, who can't see uh, our Zoom call, Christian has not broken his smile once since we sat down. He's wearing his Andre Drummond Pistons jersey. I think this is just probably the happiest, one of the happiest times Christian's had as a uh, as a Pistons fan. Um, and those, obviously, you can't see it, but our notes for Michigan Madness under the Pistons. It is three words, and you can tell who wrote it. It is Give Me Cade. I think you can already guess who wrote those down. Um, But yes, like we mentioned, um, Cade Cunningham, forgiveness might be coming. Don't know yet. But you're already costing me a steak dinner, so maybe you might not even be forgiven at all. Um, Who knows? But uh, it is exciting. I think it's going to draw a lot, and we've talked about you know, ticket sales before it's going to draw out a lot of tickets and a lot of more attraction to Detroit, which will be great for the Pistons. Um, and speaking of attraction and youngsters, I do want to roll in and mention that the Tigers fans got to watch Matt Manning's first career start against the Los Angeles Angels. I mean, the the Tigers have been the one team where I think. Tigers, true diehard Tigers fans are paying more attention to their minor league and their farm system than the actual professional team, which personally, I think for me, makes it a lot more fun. Um, 
I think it it does it it gives a lot more promise like being able to fo- really dial in and focus on those teams and Matt Manning's one of those guys. Obviously, we do have Spencer Torkelson and all of um all of our recent draft picks, but I do want to mention um that Spencer Torkelson is currently still in Double A. Um, I'm going to restart this entire thing because this is terrible and I'm rambling. Um, so, yeah, let me find. I've got stats for Badu if you want to like. I okay. Can, like, I, I was trying back. to find Matt Manning's stats, and that's why I was like Yeah, I got, I got him in front of me. He's got, uh, he threw 80 pitches in that game. Here, he wait. threw 80 pitches. Here, I, I, I think I'm just going to like restart. Like, where did I, what did I say? I was like, speaking of youngsters, right? Is what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, something about that. And I do want to say, speaking of youngsters coming into Detroit, Matt Manning made his start, first start for the Tigers against the Los Angeles Angels on June seventeenth. The rookie, uh, who is formerly the uh, number one or the first round pick, excuse me, of the Detroit Tigers, the number nine overall in twenty sixteen. Uh, five years later, makes his debut. Unfortunately, it was a loss against the Los Angeles Angels, but he did. Uh, he went five four, five uh, complete innings, allowed four hits and two runs with three strikeouts. Not bad at all for his first start in his de- uh, in his debut. I think it's a we're looking forward to promise uh, very promising games from him, and he backed it up with a win against the St. Louis Cardinals on the twenty third, where he also he threw five point two innings, allowed two earned runs on five hits with a strikeout. I, like I said, I do think we're going to have things to come from him. And I watched Yep, it was. Damn it. I knew it. All right. Um, should, just kept going. should we restart the stats? I don't want yeah, to I, I don't you. want to put like a I don't want to make you do it again, but I think No, I you're good. Of course I got it. Uh, I got it written down. I don't know. I was watching the, then, the game a couple days ago and they were just and, like spitting them out. All right. And speaking of the Tigers, it, we talked earlier about uh, having to probably mention players like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Jacob DeGrom pretty much every episode until the Major League Baseball season is done. We might have to do the same thing for Akil Badu with our Michigan Madness until the Tiger season is done because if there is one electric player in Detroit, it's Akil Badu. Christian, feed me the stats. Of course, I got you. He's got eight eight zero OPS right now. Uh, sitting at that for the season, which is fifth highest among Tigers 22 or younger ever in the history of the franchise. It is also exactly fifth for all MLB rookies right now, and he is just a couple days off of an 11 straight game hitting streak, the longest for a Tigers rookie since 2010. I don't know. I know Alex definitely watched that game today. He was there and saw it. Absolutely incredible slide from Badu. Ice cold clutch, the bottom of the tenth to grab that win. Oh, that is spectacular. I mean, they were down one no for you know through seven innings. They were down. Not only did he have the winning run, but he also had the game tying single. He had a bloop single into right field to tie the game in the bottom of the seventh. Um on what looked like an awkward swing, but he made it work and then, you know, Perfect slide, perfect lay down by Grossman, perfect slide from Badu to take the series against the Astros. I've been rooting for the Tigers to tank because I do think it would be great to have another one, another top pick in the draft. But can't. I guess you can't root against them when they're playing the Astros. Um, Tariq Skubal was also on fire today through seven complete innings at nine strikeouts and only allowed one hit on one, one run on one hit and walked three. Great outing for him. Uh, Gregory Soto picked up the win. Um, again, I do think there are, there's always going to be hope for the Tigers. And yes, I'm going to stick to it. Playoff berth by 2022. Playoff berth by 2022. That's what that's how we're going. It'll be next season. I think if we can get a top pick in the draft this year. We will be rolling. Um, I'm sticking with it. You can, you guys can hold me to it. Our listeners can hold me to that through next year. We're probably going to have to come up with some sort of bet before before uh, next season to, uh, I guess, if I'm really that wrong, punish me in some sort of way. But um, I guess we'll see what happens. And speaking of playoffs, 
Red Wings may not be in the playoffs, but you know who is? Thomas Tatar. Played seven years with the Red Wings. He's now in the Canadians, who are currently in the Stanley Cup. Uh, one of the great, in my mind, great Red Wings to watch. Uh, was truly just a dynamic score, dynamic on offense. Uh, Luke, how awesome is it to see him in the playoffs and in the Stanley Cup? I mean, it's great. You always love seeing players like that succeed. I mean, he was just a good player. He played hard. You know, he brought a lot of heart to Detroit. And it's been, I mean, he played seven years with Detroit. He played well. He played a lot of games for them. Most of the time he played at least 70 plus games, barring injury. And it's just good to see like the older veterans like that just have a chance to win. I mean, he's 30 right now. And it's just good to see those kind of older guys. I mean, obviously we're seeing it with, uh, Eric Stahl and uh, Corey Perry on the Canadians as well. Uh, Steven Stamkos, who obviously won a ring last year and won in 2006. But those older guys, you just love to see win. You know, obviously Joe Thornton, everybody would want to see him win before he retires. But, you know, there's always chances for the young guys to win too, like we talked about with Cole Caulfield. And speaking of young guys who just got drafted, I mean, Red Wings have the sixth overall pick. They're looking at some good players, I think, it's tough not to look at U of M's Kent Johnson at pick number six. He's a good player, and, you know, they've got already U of M might have the first one and two draft picks in NHL history. That's never happened before, and Michigan has a very good chance of that happening uh, with Owen Power and Matthew Benier at one and two. Um, and, you know, it makes sense to keep it in-house, keep it in Michigan. But another tough pick is uh, Jesper Wallstedt, who I talked about last week. He's a really good goaltender. There are two probably goaltenders are going to be picked in the top 20, but there's not another good goaltender prospect till the third round. So it's difficult for the Red Wings. Are they really going to, are they going to pass up on a really good goaltender to get a center or are they going to get a center and then hope for a good goaltender or vice versa, or are they going to try and dra- trade up and get both? So I think Steve eiserman has got some moves to make, but it's going to be interesting. We're excited for it. Seems like there's a lot to be excited for in Detroit these days. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm really hoping Cade can put the team together. Uh, I think he can. The Tigers rounding out just about everybody playing well right now for whatever reason. We've won five of the last seven. And the Red Wings waiting on that draft. That is going to do it for Great Takes from the Great Lakes, Episode 2. This has been, as always, Alex Dimel, Luke Morey, and Christian Peck-Dimmitt saying see you next week.